We're going to look at the uh, message this morning is encouragement to the redeemed from a redeemed man. Encouragement to the redeemed from a redeemed man. Does anything need to be done that, Spencer? Or is it on? It is? Okay. Uh, will you stand with me in the first chapter of Second Peter as we go through it together as a respect for God's precious Word if you're physically able. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by way of by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I've been going through over the last several weeks, uh, the supply of our faith is none other than Jesus Christ. Christian faith um, it doesn't just point us to Him, it links us to Him. We're baptized into Him. It's not some distant relationship where He comes near us, but it's a relationship where He kills us and, and becomes in us. That Christ in you is the New Testament message, the hope of glory. And that was the message of the Apostle Paul, the mystery that had been it had not been revealed up until that time. And God showed Paul that the tabernacle of men uh, for the redeemed, for the church, would be the hearts of those, the lives of those who repent toward God and put faith in His Son. And in so doing that, He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And that, 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 that those promises that are in the Bible, that life is engaged or, 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 or um, comes to life, in a practical sense, when we latch on to His promises, and by so doing that, we supply to our faith that which has been supplied to us. We've said this is not like adding to faith. There's nothing to add. But the faith is a channel through which these things flow. It's not like we have faith and add something to it. There's something more than faith. Faith is like the, 
conduit and the flow from which all that other stuff is supplied to us. And it's really the life of Jesus Christ. And he said, add to your faith virtue, the virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And you remember we reflect back on the fact that one of the reasons why the Apostle Peter wanted so much through the power of the Holy Spirit for these believers to be so sure of their call on the election is because he knew that the God knew that on the horizon there were going to be many things that, ha that were going to happen to them that the enemy might use to cast doubt on it. Uh, you know how the enemy plays with us and toys with us. He'll take circumstances and difficulties and, and even ministries now crop up just based on, the, on, on exploiting that very thing. If things go bad in the Christian life, then there's something wrong with your faith and there's something wrong with the, your understanding of God when the truth of the matter is that the Christian life is a difficult life. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not some little... Uh, little uh, tiptoe through the tools like we said a couple of weeks ago. And he knew that the enemy was going to come in and exploit the suffering of God's people in such a way. And he would do it through false teachers and who would promulgate a gospel and advance a gospel that's very anything but the Bible. But I want us to, this morning uh, to kind of peer into this text and learn from what's not in it. Strange thing. To learn what's learn from this book, from what's not in it. A lot of times, you can learn from the Bible by what it says about a certain subject and what it doesn't say about that very same subject. And I think this is a spot where we can this morning. And 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 it's not going to. We just want to really focus in on one verse. That's what I feel led to do this morning. After we went through that list, just by way of reminder, chief aim was to get to love. You know what? The rest of the stuff on this journey is nothing but just a bunch of religious frou-frou. But the chief aim is to get to love. You've got to get there. Because if you get to love, you've gotten to God. Matter of fact, the application of these, these attributes without love, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is meaningless. It's meaningless. I can, I can think of this, that you could give your life up to be burned at a stake, and if you don't do it in love, it profits you nothing. It profits the person you died for, but it profits you a big fat zero when it's not done with love. And we did a further examination of that word love like we've done many times before. We said eros, which is not used in the Bible, but it's a Greek word, is the love that takes. Um, then we observed that uh, phileo is the love that gives and takes. But agape is the love that gives regardless of whether it gets anything back or not. That is not its motivation to get something back. That's divine love. That's God's love. Spencer and I were in an interesting conversation after the service, after everybody had pretty much gone except he and I last week, and we were just wondering, and he made a good point. I wonder how many marriages are based on uh, phileo and never get to agape, that the faithfulness of the marriage is just a give-and-take enterprise rather than just give. It has to be Jesus in the middle of that, but that was a good point that he made. But with the aim is love. You got to get to love. You got to get to that point. And then he says this. We're getting to the verse. If these things are characteristic in your life, if they're yours and they abound, they begin to show up, and you begin to see these things in your life. Here's here's the here's the, the wonderful grace. You'll be neither barren, that means useless, or or unfruitful in the knowledge that you claim to have of Jesus. And you know. 
the Bible, like we've talked about before, our Lord makes a big deal out of fruitfulness versus fruitlessness. And, and fruitlessness really upsets God. I don't know another way to say it. And, and you've taken up space where he, whereby He could be tilling up the soil and, and putting a vine in it that's going to bear fruit. And God has to prune the vine. And that's another message altogether. But, but neither barren nor unfruitful, the Bible says, and we would all agree here, and the Bible is very clear that that uh, that God saved us for His glory. Is that not true? And we, we I borrow from a quote from Chuck Swindoll I've used many times, uh, and I think we need to, be, to remember the principle that under, underneath it. And that is why salvation is for us. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God. We're the beneficiaries for sure, but it's about the glory of God. And Jesus said this. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. If we want to live a life that's to the glory of God, it would have to be the fruitful life. And the Bible knows of no other. And then it says, okay, you'll be neither barren nor fruitful in the knowledge that you claim to profess in Christ. And then he says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Remember we talked about the fact that you know the, the one who, the Christian who just kind of stands by and just kind of wants to stay stuck in the Christian life. And we made this observation many times before. There's no such thing as staying stuck in the Christian life. You're either getting forward or you're going backwards. But you don't get stuck. To get stuck is the first step to going backwards. You don't just maintain something. You can't do that. You can't pull that off. That's not the, that's not the flow of biblical truth. You're either moving forward or you're regressing. One or the other. And so let's move forward. And he's saying if this stuff starts to show up and it's yours and abounds and you begin to move forward, you can have confidence in the fact that you say you have a knowledge of Christ and that knowledge is bearing out in the way you live. And others can see it. He said, but if you don't have it, you have short-sightedness. It means you have a faith that's consumed with this and not that. It means a faith. It means an abandonment of the pilgrim mentality. It means that to act like this is our home. This is where we're going to live forever. Let's do, it, let's do the best we can here. It's as good as it's going to get. And because it's as good as it's going to get, this is all that matters. Let's just, he that dies with the most toys wins. All of this stuff. We will renounce that in profession. But we often don't in our practice. We want our orthodoxy to equal come to equal our orthopraxy to come equal our come in line with our orthodoxy and he said you're short-sightedness even the blindness and here's what I want to focus in on I felt led to not only not only when these things are not pursued not for salvation but as a fruit of salvation when these things are not not pursued you're short-sightedness you have a short-sighted mentality it's just about this life to the point where you're spiritually blind. But you begin to forget that you've been cleansed from your old sins. Now you think about this for just a moment. Just go with me for a moment and think about who God chose to write this. Who wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Beyond doubt, it's Peter. God chose Peter to write this. And, I, and, and I, I want you to know, and there's some things that we can live from the text when we get there later on that are going to just amaze you. It didn't me. But Peter wrote this. Peter wrote this. Now that's significant. If ever in the letter, 
if ever in the letter, if a human being wrote this, that he was ever going to bring up his old sin, it would have been right here. And boy, he had one to bring up, didn't he? You remember, the bold, brash Peter. Simon, Simon. And what did he do? The one asserted, asserted that he was not going to fall out of the ranks like the rest of them. He denied the Lord. He not just, and he denied Him uh, in, in, a, in a profane way. I mean, he really cussed out the person that said, you're with them. You're with those bunch. And he went blankety, blankety, blank, blankety, blank, no, blank, no, blank, no. I mean, like that. And he's in with the eye distance of his Savior himself. And he's over there doing, doing that. Now, now, watch this. Let's go to Luke 22, 31. Let's go to Luke 22:31. Just bear with me as we build on something here. Luke 22 and 31, and it's the account of our Lord's dialogue with Peter when he tells him he's going to deny him. There's a couple of just there's so many there's so much sweetness in this narrative that we'll never we can't get to it this morning. Never could in 50 mornings, but but we're going to have to be forced to overlook some things. In order to focus in on where we are this morning. But look what he said in uh, Luke 21, 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. You know, he gave Simon the name Peter. And when he used the name Simon, and often it's used in the scriptures, you know what it refers to? Huh? No, no, not, 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 not Peter, but Simon. Huh? flesh, his old man. And so he's like, Simon, Simon, you're going to be full of yourself and you're not going to be full of me. Let me just remind you, things are coming that they're going to get out of control. And if you could take your flesh and multiply it times two and you're not going to be able to succumb to the pressure you're about to face. You can muster up all the strength. You can, you can, be, you can, you can bring all the resolve that you've got to the table. You can take all your type A personality, your brashness, your boldness, and multiply it times two. And buddy, you're still, you're still going to deny me. I mean, hey, do whatever you can. And we do that in, we do that in Christendom all the time, don't we? We take our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our notions, our strength, our power, all of that. And we think, man, if I can just improve that, Listen, the Christian life is not a life of self-improvement. The Christian life is a life of self-replacement. God did not come to improve what He found when He saved you. He came to kill what He found when He saved you. And He did kill it on the cross in, pra in positional terms. And in practical terms, He wants to kill it every day. Every day. And so he said, Simon, Simon, flesh times two still won't help you, buddy. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. All right, now that word you right there is actually in plural. So he wasn't just saying Satan has asked for you, Peter. What he's saying is Satan's asked for all of my disciples. Every last one of you he's asked for. Okay? You all. Satan has asked for you all. Okay, and you're among them, buddy. And then let me just tell you, but you're the front man. And I've singled you out for some purposes here, but you're the front man. So Satan's asked for you all. That's plural. And then he says that he may sift you as wheat. Now here's what we can be encouraged by, and it's hard to resist all the stuff that comes out of here. But he said he, Satan had to ask for permission before he could touch him. He can't, couldn't do a thing without the Lord allowing that. God's sovereign. He said, okay, but I have, I have prayed for you. You imagine? That's some of the sweetest words in all the Bible. 
that Jesus Christ will look at Peter and say, but I've prayed for you. Guess what? The you there is singular. What he was saying was, it's not like I wasn't praying for the other disciples, but Jesus brought it home and personalized it. He said, Satan has asked for you all. And I've prayed for you. I want you to know, buddy, I've prayed for you. I'm praying for you, Peter. That's what I'm that's my ministry. He's at the Father's right hand right now. And the Bible says the ministry of Jesus Christ is that he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. Hallelujah. We got Jesus praying for us if nobody else is. Amen. Oh man. But look what he said that your faith should not fail. We've affirmed this principle many times before. Peter failed, but his faith didn't. That showed the validity of it. When faith is real, it perseveres. It means that it's better said that it's better to say rather than once saved, always saved, which is true. It's better to say that saving faith perseveres. If it's real, it will endure to the end. It might have some weak moments. It might have some dormancy to it. It might have a lot of things happen to it. But in the end, it will endure to the end. Saving faith perseveres. And so he's saying that right there. He said, you're going to fail, but buddy, because I'm praying for you and the faith that you have, I gave to you. It's divine. It's perfect. It's holy. And it will not fail. Hallelujah. God says the same thing to us. I wonder how many failures you and I have made, but yet our faith hasn't failed. How many times have we denied the Lord? How many times have we turned our back on Him and made promises to Him that in effect we didn't keep? And yet our faith doesn't fail. Then He said, and when you've returned to Me, strengthen your brethren. A way that God used them to do that was to write First and Second Peter. <laughs> strengthen your brethren. By the way, Two of the books in the big book are going to come in your hand. I'm going to write two of the books of the Bible through you and that's how you're going to strengthen your brethren. What a kind God we serve. What a kind God we serve. What a forgiving God. What a loving God we serve. And he said, okay. And so sure enough, you know the narrative. And Peter does indeed do what our Lord told it said he would do. And he denied it. Then, look at uh, John. And we've been through this before, but we're going to touch on it. Look, John chapter 21. We have Peter, and he's in front of Jesus, and he encounters Jesus yet again before Jesus ascends to the heaven, and God benevolently works through His dear Son to restore Peter. And you'll remember, and we've looked at this before, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we have spent a lot of time on it in the past, but look at John 21, verse 15. And it said, when they had eaten breakfast, and Jesus had come upon them, and you know, the, you know the narrative and they're eating their breakfast and, um, and Jesus um, has this dialogue with Peter to, uh, to restore him. So they eat breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agapeo me more than these? Divine love? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. And he's saying... No, don't saddle me with divine love because I just proved for my actions I don't love you with the kind of love you're talking about. I finally realized. I thought I did, but I don't. And then he said to him, and he said, well, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agapeo me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. So he goes back to human love. 
brotherly love. Jesus is still talking about agape. Then He says, tend my sheep. Then He said to him third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you filio me? I mean, phileo me? And Jesus, Peter was grieved because He said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And He said to him, Lord, You know all things and You know that I phileo You. Peter had been broken. Simon, Simon, who was big and now become small. And he had realized, you know what? I can't tap in to who God is until I have an accurate assessment in light of who He is of who I am. And I'm telling you right now, I'm insufficient. I'm inadequate. And it would have been incredibly important. Listen to me now. It would have been incredibly important to a man like Peter to add to his faith or supply his faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with perseverance, with godliness, with brotherly kindness, and with love. See, he's writing to people on, about a journey that he's been through. See, if ever a guy could have been attacked by the enemy to cast doubt on his faithfulness to our Lord, it would have been this one. And, and oh, how important. Can you imagine how important it must have been for Peter to say, Lord, anchor me daily. Anchor me daily. And this is what God gave to him. He said, son, you take that faith that I told you wouldn't fail and you apply it. You let it flow through you to live a virtuous life of moral excellence. Moral excellence. Don't play around. And then knowledge. Knowledge of me and discernment about my will. And then self-control to, to pull it off. And perseverance that when you've heard from me, you don't quit no matter what anybody says and no matter how hard it gets. And from that perseverance, then you come to godliness. That's what forges godliness. Godly character. Proven character like it talks about in Romans chapter 5. And that godliness will lead you to a brotherly kindness and a sympathy and an empathy and an affection toward other people. And what will come out of the other end is you be willing to spend and be spent on the sacrifice and service of somebody else's faith. And you'll have the heart of the shepherd because you'll have my heart. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you something right now. For a man to fail at the level he failed, it would have been great to know that God took him through that birth canal. That God took him through that canal of activity. That God took him through that growth. That God forged a faith in him and a confidence in him. And he came out on the other side. And here's what he realized. When he met me that day and I dropped the nets and I repented of my sins and put faith in Him, that faith that I had that day was on shaky ground and I doubted whether or not it was either there or not. But it came out on the other side. And here's what I found out. My call and my election are sure. Man, that's valuable. How infinitely valuable that is. They're not caught between two opinions. Not be like the nation of Israel and say, you know what? And, and Elijah looked down at him and said, you've got to make up your mind. If God is God, serve Him. But if these guys over here who are, who are filleting themselves and worshiping Baal, if that's God, serve Him. But for goodness sake, don't be caught between two opinions. Make up your mind. And Peter had a made up mind. He, he's writing from personal experience. And let me tell you what would have been a temptation for him. To write the details of his past sin. But he resisted because the Holy Spirit was... He was under control of the Holy Spirit. And if he ever wanted to get into it, that would have been the time. He said, 
Let me tell you this. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. And Peter could have said, none of you could outdo me. I knew him intimately, personally. And I cursed young people, young servant girls in a, in a garden court one time. In light of our Savior's death, after promising Him I'd be faithful to the end, I cursed them out, saying I never knew Him. He didn't get into that. You know why? Because whatever's taken to the mercy seat doesn't make it to the judgment seat. And here's, what, here's the bottom line. Aren't you grateful He didn't get into it? And you know what? We don't need to get into it either. Because the issue is this. This is the takeaway I want us to carry out as we go into the Lord's Supper. What he's saying there is not to bring back up the past sins and, and wallow in them and, and just go on and on and on about how sorry he was before Christ got a hold of him. Or maybe how sorry he had been since Christ had got a hold of him. The issue is, is, is not that. The issue is this. It's not to remind us of our sin but it's to remind us of the price that He paid to redeem us from it. That's the issue. The issue is not to remind us of our sin. The issue is to remind us of the... Here's the thing. When He said you've got a like precious faith, you know how we term things that are precious? There are things like precious metals, precious jewels, precious this, precious that. And those are things that are particularly rare and precious and therefore pricely and costly and, 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 not, not, and they're not easy to come by. And if you do get them, they come at great expense. That faith is precious in the sense that yeah, it's precious like my, my, my son's precious to me when he's across my lap and I'm rubbing his little face. That's precious to me. But no, it's the preciousness as far as the value is concerned. You understand that your faith came at the expense of the blood of God's precious son. That's what he's saying. He's saying you are going to have a tendency to forget. Let this ring home with us, especially those of us who are raising children to know Christ and are feeding the gospel seeds into their heart, hoping one day and believing that one day, because God doesn't have grandchildren, He only has children. You could pass down a sin nature, but you cannot pass down salvation. You could inform somebody about salvation. You could proclaim the gospel, but you cannot produce converts. Only Christ can. And when once He does that, that we want them to have a precious faith that they, that they carry with them, and that when they're 70, when they find out and they take the Lord's Supper, there's still room for a tear in their eye to realize that the precious blood of Christ bought me and it took just as much of that blood to buy me as it would to buy a mass murderer. It is no different. It's precious faith. It is valuable. It is infinitely valuable. And he's saying, don't move away from that. The Lord would go to the, uh, to go to the, to the, uh, to the point of giving us the Lord's Supper for that very reason. Give us the Lord's Supper for that very reason. You know, when we started doing the Lord's Supper every week, I said, Dear Jesus, if there's just one thing, please help it not to be that this becomes so routine and so part of what we do that we lose sight of what we're doing. And the issue is not to remind us of our past sins. When He said they'd forgotten about being cleansed. See, it wasn't they, it wasn't they had forgotten of their past sins. 
It was they've been reminded that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Well, what was the cleansing agent? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we take the Lord's Supper and we immerse ourselves into the Scriptures and ask God to immerse the Scriptures into us. It's just a game changer. It's a, it's, there's a humbleness about it to go, oh my, oh my. Listen, no matter where you are in Christian maturity and no matter how long you've walked with God, no matter what somebody else has done for you, when we look at the price that was paid for us, see, we've let, we've let this man-centeredness thing uh, creep into our gospel message as if God died for worthy people. God died for people that He just looks up in their face and just, you know, when babies are little. We talked about this Wednesday night in our Bible study and the Bible says that there are four things that are true of us in Romans chapter 5 that was true of us when Christ died. That we were without strength, helpless, couldn't do a thing on our own. We were ungodly sinners who were His enemies. And that's the bunch that Christ died for. And, and, and so there's this temptation to, to, to look at Christian faith and present the Gospel in such a way that we, it's just like grabbing people by the cheek and just taking their cheeks when you take a baby where they got all that baby baby fat on them and just going you're just so pretty you're so cute God had to die for you he just loves you so much you just don't love me dummy 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 you're just so pretty and sweet like that God did not see you and I the way we were at that state he saw us the way we were going to be made in his son he sees us in his son and that benefit has been passed to me and you but let me tell you what he saw when he pulled up the cheeks he saw somebody who was worthy of having those cheeks torn apart and thrown in hell forever let me tell you something right now. You never value the preciousness of the gift until you come to understand how unworthy, unworthy the recipient is. You never value the preciousness of the gift until you come to understand how much the gift cost and the greater distance between the cost of the gift and the unworthiness of the giver is a celebration of the real grace of God. That's what the communion table is about. To come to that table. And you know what? We need to start looking at other people differently. Because I can tell you this. He spilled His precious blood for them as much as He did for me and you. He didn't look around and go, wow, I see potential there. Boy, there's some people that can really serve me. they got some gifts and talents. And after all, I'm a needy God. I'm insecure. And I need to recruit some people because I can't. I got enough people to do my mark. And I've got to recruit some people because I'm sweating. I'm sweating it out. I've got a payroll to fill. I've got positions to fill. I've got things to do. I've got a mission to pull off. And man, I've got some talented people I need to save. Let me save one of them. That's not the Gospel at all. He said, like precious faith... Listen to me, believer. Listen to me, please, dear one. Please, please don't lose sight of the fact that you've been cleansed from your sin. I'm not saying let the sin be in front and center. That's not what he's saying. If he was saying that, he could just reproduce the narrative. Let me tell you what happened on the eve of his death. You want to talk about somebody that struggles with that? Let me tell you what happened. And he could have gone into that, but the Holy Spirit had none of that. No! No, 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 no. It wasn't the sin he was supposed to celebrate. It was the cleansing agent. And what is the cleansing agent? God just go, 
well, I'm just so kind and your cheeks are so pretty. I'm just going to forgive you. You know the number of people that believe that about God? I run into people almost every day that believe that about God. They believe He's going to forgive them. They actually believe that He's going to forgive them. And when you press them and say, why do you think He's going to do that? Why is he? He's a forgiving God. He sure is. But guess what? He's a just God too, isn't He? And they, they believe that. And in some way, we facilitate that belief. We facilitate that belief. We shore it up. You know what? Why? Because we've come to believe it. We've come to let that slip in. And you know what the Lord said? I know that'll happen to you. I know that's going to happen among you. I know it is. You're going to get cold and indifferent. And I'm going to give you an act of worship that's so holy and so precious to me. And it's called communion. And here's my intent. When Pastor Brian comes up here and he reads from the Scriptures wherever God leads him to, Dear Lord in heaven above, let's celebrate His imminent return. Yes, sir. But oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Let's take a fresh look at Calvary and the bludgeoned face of our Savior and realize that He did not do that for one single person who deserved it. Not one. And it's cute and as sweet as your children are. And my children are cute and sweet too. But as cute and sweet as they are, they were born in their mother's womb and conceived in iniquity. They were just like you. And they sinned because they're sinners. And, they, and, and God sent His Son to redeem them, not with silver or gold from their aimless conduct received by tradition from their fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's not to remind us of our past sins, but it's to remind us of the price that was paid to cleanse us from them and that they have been cleansed. I'm so grateful that in this narrative, we do not find, in this narrative, we do not find His greatest failure. Maybe some of you are in here and you've had a... And when I use the word failure, let's use sin. How about that? Let's use a biblical word for it. It wasn't reminded of His greatest sin to, to, to deny the Lord. There are people in Christendom that walk around and some of them might be in this room who do just that. They identify themselves by their greatest sin. We can be tempted to. You know, when it came to my turn, and I made some claims about faith, and it came my turn. Or maybe it came my turn in the conversation in the circle at the office, and it came my turn and opportunity. I did everything. I, I, denied, I denied my Lord. I denied Him. You say, oh, I've never outright denied Him. You can deny Him with your giving. You can deny Him. You just edge Him out of your pocketbook and just say, what is that but denial? Lord, we didn't listen. This is off limits. You know, they say that in the Crusades, in order to enlist somebody in your cause, they would encourage them to be baptized. And they would say, wait a minute, I'm not going to give my sword up to anybody. I reserve the right to fight for whoever I want to fight for. And so they reached an agreement and said, you know what, you can baptize everything but my sword. I wonder what's holding up you. You can baptize everything but this. Because I, I reserve the right to do with that whatever I want to. I reserve the right to do with my children whatever I want to. I reserve the right to do with my future whatever I want to. I reserve the right to do with my financial resources whatever I want to. And you know what? The reason we get to that place is we lose sight of the fact that we have been cleansed from our past sins. Because I'm here to tell you, 
You know, we could pitch surrender in non-biblical ways all day long. People do that all the time. From pulpits all over the world, people are pitching surrender. Some pastors are doing it just because they don't have their budgets are behind. Some pastors are doing it because they figure that's the only way to get people to live holy. Uh, all those other things they happen to be wrong. They're wrongly motivated and it's wrongly taught many times. Surrender. Surrender comes on the heels when you're gently reminded by the Holy Spirit at what price your redemption came by. What was God willing to do? What did He do? We're going to take the Lord's Supper right now. We can take it in an apathetic way. I hope you don't. I really hope you don't. If you, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not saying I'm going to get emotional and fall on the floor or anything like that. If I did that, it would be out of exhaustion. It wouldn't be out of any other reason. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you this. It's a wonderful time to have a spiritual checkup to see if the fire is burning hot. The embers of first love. Where am I at with you, Lord? You know, it's a wonderful time to have a really spiritual assessment. Let the Holy Spirit assess and, and really see. Have we lost sight? We've been cleansed from our past sins. And the agent and the means by which God did that was the spilling of the precious blood of His Son. Let's take a moment of self-examination and Pastor Brian's going to come and lead us.